On this vote, the yeas are 232, the nays are 196. The resolution is adopted without objection. The motion to reconsider is laid upon the table. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Maybe. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN. In Palinville, New York on WLPP. Grand Rapids, WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, where Pete Buttigieg became the first Democratic candidate to officially sign in to the New Hampshire primary. In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR, in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe for you every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing planet earth five days a week i'm brad friedman your friendly investigative blogger journalist troublemaker muckraker and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com on a rather historic day it seems to me and not just because pete Buttigieg signed up to become the uh, first official candidate in uh, in new hampshire today which, by the way, we're just uh, something like 90 days away from that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, from the uh, very first votes being cast in the 2020 presidential election. But no, it's not historic because of that. Neither is it historic because of Desi Doyen's Green News report coming up a little bit later. Although it should be. Well, says you. <laughs> no, it's uh, historic for another reason. It looks like we are headed towards... Definitely, I should say, uh, towards the impeachment of just the fourth president to face articles of impeachment in the U.S. House. No president has ever been forced from the White House through impeachment, although Richard Nixon resigned rather than having to face the near certainty that he would be removed from office during a trial in the Senate, which never happened because he quit. The term impeachment is commonly used to mean removing someone from office, but it actually refers only to the filing of formal charges. If the House impeaches, the U.S. Senate then holds a trial on those charges to decide whether the officer, which can be a president or any other federal officer, whether they should be removed and barred from holding federal office in the future. The House has actually impeached 19 people 
Mostly federal judges, just two presidents, Andrew Johnson and Bill Clinton, were actually impeached, but the Senate voted not to convict either of them. Johnson escaped conviction by one single vote in the U.S. Senate after he was charged with removing the Secretary of War at the time, despite a law that has since been revoked that barred him from doing so at the time, not long after the Civil War in this country. The Department of War, by the way, would later be renamed the Department of Defense. Nixon resigned rather than face either a full vote on articles of impeachment in the U.S. House or that trial and potential removal by the U.S. Senate. After the Judiciary Committee approved three articles of impeachment against him, but before the full House could vote on those articles. And that's always been confusing. It's always been confusing to me. I was not old enough uh, at the time to to be able to pay attention to those details. So Richard Nixon had articles of impeachment created and voted against him by the Judiciary Committee, but he quit before the full House had a chance to vote on them. The Constitution provides that a president can be impeached for, quote, treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. Treason and bribery are well understood by most folks, but the Constitution does not define high crimes and misdemeanors, and that has been, well, I don't want to say a problem over the years, but that has been the matter of much debate over the years, exactly what do high crimes and misdemeanors actually mean. Congress has identified three types of conduct that constitute grounds for impeachment, including misusing an office for financial gain. Huh. But the misdeeds don't necessarily have to be crimes, as we've talked about on this program in recent days. Uh, A president can simply be impeached for abusing the powers of the office or for acting in a manner considered incompatible with the office. When Gerald Ford was a member of the House, he defined an impeachable offense as, quote, whatever a majority of the House of Representatives considers to be uh, considers it to be at any given moment in history. And that has pretty much been what uh, the modern day uh, members of Congress have considered it to be, whatever they want it to be. In other words, impeachment and conviction by Congress is a political punishment. It is not a criminal punishment. The president uh, or whoever is peached would not face an actual uh, a courtroom trial or an actual jury. They would face a trial that looks a lot like a courtroom trial, but it's held in the U.S. Senate and the jury is the 100 members of the Senate. The founders intentionally kept the term high crimes and misdemeanors vague, according to NBC News Today, because impeachment is meant to be a political act, not a legal one, according to NBC. Unlike in criminal law, there are no clear rules for evaluating when a president has stepped over a constitutional line. The founders rejected the term maladministration, as grounds for impeachment, which I did not know, apparently because they did not want a president to be tossed out simply because Congress did not think he was doing a good job. Which makes sense. Alexander Hamilton said impeachable offenses were those that involved abuse of public trust. Like, let's say, the public has entrusted 
the executive branch to deliver millions of dollars that were allocated by Congress for military assistance to a country struggling to survive a war. The public has entrusted the Congress to decide whether that money should be allocated and then trusted whether the executive branch uh, entrusted in the executive branch for giving that money, actually handing that money over to the country in question. Congress allocated the funds to be handed over by the executive branch and the public trusts that all of these people would do so as mandated by Congress. If the executive branch then failed to do so, secretly refused to send over that congressionally allocated money, let's say for domestic political reasons, to help a president's personal re-election chances by forcing that country to help him out, to help him to hurt his political opponent, well, that might be seen as a violation of the public's trust. I don't want to be too specific here, but if something like that were to happen, one might consider that to be a violation of the public's trust. Now, the House impeached Andrew Johnson in 1868 during a fight over uh, Reconstruction after the Civil War. Most of the articles of impeachment accused Johnson at the time of violating a specific federal law that, as I mentioned, was uh, repealed, which said that a president could not remove certain officials without Senate approval. Johnson went and did it anyway, and for that he was impeached you know, basically by defying Congress, defying the rule of law, but defying Congress specifically. And uh, he was uh, articles of impeachment were uh, voted on him in the House. They were sent to the Senate. He had a trial and he won that trial. He was acquitted, so to speak, by just one single vote. In the matter of Richard Nixon's impeachment, the House Judiciary Committee approved three articles against him in 1974, they charged him with obstruction of justice for impeding the investigation into the break-in at the Democratic National Committee headquarters in the Watergate office building, not unlike the way that Donald Trump was found by special counsel Robert Mueller to have repeatedly impeded or attempted to impede the investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election and any cooperation they may have had in that effort from the Trump campaign. So obstruction of justice was the first article uh, that was uh, voted on against Richard Nixon. Then came abuse of power for trying to use the CIA, the FBI, and other agencies to help him cover up the conspiracy, the Watergate conspiracy, not unlike the way Trump has used elements of the Department of Justice and the State Department to try at least to cover up the findings of the Mueller report and the Ukraine affair and his unlawful, unreported hush money payments that were meant to cover up uh, an affair that he had with a porn star in advance of the 2016 elections and then the secret payments that he made to his lawyer to uh, pay him back for that those hush money payments after he was in the White House, while he was actually in the White House. So abuse of power. That was the second one carried out against uh, Richard Nixon. Then there was contempt of Congress. That was the third article of impeachment against Nixon for refusing to turn over material in response to congressional subpoenas. That, too, may sound familiar to you. It is not unlike how Donald Trump has refused to turn over lawfully subpoenaed documents to Congress 
and has barred any and all executive officials from giving depositions or testifying to Congress. Now, some of them have done so anyway, but not for lack of Donald Trump trying to prevent them from doing so, and many of them have not answered those uh, congressional subpoenas. So those were the three articles of impeachment against Richard Nixon, all of which would seem equally valid against the current occupant of the White House. In 1998, the House approved two articles of impeachment against President Bill Clinton, charging him with lying under oath to a grand jury about the nature of his relationship with Monica Lewinsky and Paula Jones, which, at least to my knowledge, Donald Trump was smart enough so far to avoid doing to avoid lying under oath to a grand jury. Uh, he avoided uh, giving testimony in the uh, Mueller investigation and other probes since taking office, despite saying how much over and over and over again, how much he could not wait to testify to the Mueller investigation. He did end up giving some answers to some of the questions from uh, Robert Mueller in writing. And whether he lied in those questions, uh, those answers to those questions, well, that's a matter worth looking at. But in any event, that was the first one, lying under oath to a grand jury. That was the first article of impeachment against Bill Clinton. And the second one was, again, obstruction of justice, in this case for encouraging Lewinsky and others to make false statements and concealing gifts that he had given to her, kind of like the way Donald Trump has obstructed and made many false statements in many aspects of many of the investigations into his various high crimes and misdemeanors. So right now, three committees in the House, the Intelligence Committee, Oversight and Reform Committee and the Foreign Affairs Committee are conducting investigations. They are gathering documents. They are calling witnesses in the inquiry into Trump. In the Clinton impeachment, there was just one committee, the House Judiciary, but they relied heavily on a report that was compiled in secret behind closed doors with depositions and grand jury testimony that was taken over several years without any representatives of the president or even members of Congress from either party participating, that uh, secret behind closed doors testimony was taken by Ken Starr, the independent counsel who led the investigation in that matter. And Ken Starr listed 11 possible grounds for impeachment in four different categories, perjury, obstruction of justice, witness tampering and abuse of power. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has said that while the Bipartisan Intelligence Committee will take the lead in investigating Trump, the actual vote on specific articles of impeachment will be marked up and conducted by the House Judiciary Committee and could draw on the conclusions of these other House committees that are investigating. The process of voting on the articles, which is known as the committee markup, will be televised when it happens and it will likely take place over several days in the coming weeks. Are you prepared? Are you prepared, Desi Doyen? <laughs> no. Uh, how, well, get prepared because <laughs> this is coming. I know. Uh, House Judiciary took uh, six days to recommend articles of impeachment against uh, Richard Nixon back in July of 1974. They took just three days to recommend articles of impeachment against Bill Clinton in December of 1998. If approved by a simple majority, the articles uh, that are approved by the House Judiciary Committee are then reported to the full House 
as uh, privileged, meaning that they can come up for immediate consideration, including potentially several days of debate over those articles. The president is then impeached if the House approves any of those articles by a simple majority vote. That's all that's required. The House then appoints members to serve as managers or prosecutors for the Senate trial, where those House managers essentially serve as the prosecuting attorneys. The president's own attorneys serve as the defense attorneys, essentially, and witnesses can be called, including the president of the United States. And the 100 members of the U.S. Senate then act as jurors listening to the arguments on both sides. And they take an affirmative uh, vote if they take an affirmative vote at the end of two thirds of them. That is uh, on any of the articles to officially remove the president from office. In that case, thanks to the 25th Amendment, the vice president then becomes the next president of the United States. All of that could happen in the next few weeks and perhaps months, depending how it plays. But before we even get cl anywhere close to a, a vote in the U.S. Senate, the action is currently in the House, but it is moving quickly. Democrats decided to take a vote on the full House floor today on the rules for the public hearings that are soon to come in their ongoing impeachment proceedings against Donald J. Trump as we head towards Thanksgiving. Those public hearings will be happening. They will be televised before what is then likely to be a vote uh, before Christmas in the Judiciary Committee and then on the House floor on official articles of impeachment against another president of the United States, the fourth in our country's history. The story of what happened in that vote on Thursday and in the latest testimony to uh, impeachment investigators in the U.S. House, that is straight ahead on this historic day on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. <laughs> Let yourself be light. Yes. From now Welcome on, back. our troubles It's will the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. No, you are not listening to a rerun from a different <laughs> part of the year. It is still uh, Halloween season. It is not even Thanksgiving season. But uh, some folks may see a very Merry Christmas uh, straight ahead in the next uh, few weeks. A bitterly divided House of Representatives voted on Thursday to endorse the Democratic-led impeachment inquiry into President Trump in a historic action that set up a critical new public phase of the process and underscored the toxic political polarization that serves as its backdrop, according to The New York Times. 
The vote was on a package of ground rules for the inquiry. Chambers, uh, it was the chamber's first formal vote in a fight that could stretch into the 2020 election year. The final tally was 232 to 196, with all Republicans who voted opposing the resolution. Just two Democratic defectors joined them, freshman Congressman Jeff Van Drew of New Jersey and 15-term veteran Congressman Colin Peterson of Minnesota, one of the Democratic Party's most conservative members. Both represent Republican-leaning districts. Former uh, conservative Republican Tea Party congressman, recently turned independent Justin Amash of Michigan, He also backed the measure, voting with the Democrats on this one, though the vote technically was uh, over the rules that will govern the process. Each side used it uh, used it to accuse the other side of having already decided whether Congress should wrench Donald Trump from office, according to AP. The vote also underscored how, for now, lawmakers on each side are comfortable with their approaches to next year's presidential and congressional elections. Democrats have been buoyed by polls showing growing public sentiment toward investigating and even removing Donald Trump from office. As most recent polls have shown, a majority now support doing exactly that. Even as the very same surveys have shown Republican voters... Uh, a majority of them, big majority of them, still standing by their president. Independent voters, however, according to a recent Reuters poll, are said to now be surging in favor of their uh, support for both impeachment and removal of the president. An October 18 through 22 uh, poll by Reuters found support for impeachment was relatively steady at this point among both Republicans and Democrats, but among independents who neither identify as either uh, Democratic nor Republican and claim that they do not favor either party when they vote, well, now 45% of those independents support impeachment. That is the strongest level of support in that particular poll in more than a year. Just 32% opposed it. Just about one in three, or about 33 percent, had said they favored impeachment in previous polls and more than a dozen previous Reuters-Ipsos polls going back to June of 2018. So that means that support for impeachment by independents has soared in recent weeks by nearly 15 points since the last Reuters poll on this. Thursday's measure in the U.S. House defined the procedures that lawmakers will follow as they transition from their weeks of closed-door interviews with witnesses to public hearings and ultimately to possible votes on whether to recommend Donald Trump's impeachment for a trial in the Senate. During the debate on Thursday, Democrats spoke of lawmakers' duty to defend the Constitution, while Republicans cast the process as a skewed attempt to railroad a president whom Democrats have detested since before he took office. And it may be true the Democrats have detested him since uh, before he took office. But as we have been reporting from day one and prior to that, this man, Donald Trump, has committed some very serious offensive, both criminal and impeachable. Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who was previously an opponent of impeaching this president, 
Uh, she stood next to a poster of the American flag, and she opened her remarks by quoting the preamble to the Constitution before declaring that nothing less than our democracy is now at stake in these proceedings. I don't know why the Republicans are afraid of the truth. Every member should support allowing the American people to hear the facts for themselves. This, that is really what this vote is about. What it's about the truth. And what is at stake? What is at stake in all of this is nothing less than our democracy. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy California Republican charged that Democrats, meanwhile, are trying to remove Donald Trump simply because they just can't remove him in the 2020 election. So they have to impeach, according to House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy today. Democrats are trying to impeach the president because they are scared they cannot defeat him at the ballot box. That's not my words. That's the words of my colleagues from the other side of the aisle that has offered impeachment three different times. This impeachment is not only an attempt to undo the last election, it is an attempt to influence the next one as well. Now, actually, those are his words. They were not the words of his uh, colleagues on the other side of the aisle. You mean McCarthy was lying well, on the he House was, floor? He was sort of, he was using uh, not exact words. Uh, I believe Al Green, uh, who, uh, a Democrat from, uh, from Texas, who had uh, uh, filed articles of impeachment very early on in Donald Trump's tenure had uh, said that uh, this was needed because uh, we may not be able to remove him at the ballot box or something along those lines. So uh, Kevin McCarthy was sort of uh, being somewhat loose with his words and his claims there. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm so old. I remember when right after uh, Barack Obama was elected president that Senate leader Mitch McConnell actually said he was going to make it his goal to ensure that Obama was just a one term president. It's funny how it's like they have uh, total amnesia about how they did the exact same thing and tried to attack the same president in well, the same way. Well, and they way. certainly tried to come up with articles of impeachment against uh, Barack Obama. <laughs> and they just and failed. And they just couldn't. Actually, they could have. They could have. It would have been pretty easy to bring an article of impeachment uh, for the uh, targeted assassination that the Obama administration carried out against American citizens. But the thing was... The Republicans favored that act, no matter how unconstitutional it was, no matter how impeachable it was. So they didn't bring articles of impeachment, underscoring the point that I made in the previous segment that impeachment is ultimately a political act, not necessarily a criminal act and not necessarily even uh, one that is brought because there is a violation, a clear violation of the Constitution, as when the president actually targeted for death successfully a U.S. U.S. citizen. But Republicans apparently are cool with that, and apparently so are Democrats. But we digress, Desi. <laughs> yes. uh, back to uh, the uh, historic hearing today, the historic vote, I should say, in the U.S. House. The number three House GOP leader, Steve Scalise of Louisiana, uh, he went even farther than Kevin McCarthy. He accused Democrats who, with this vote, are simply setting rules akin to those used in both the Nixon and Clinton impeachment proceedings. He accused the Democrats of imposing, quote, Soviet-style rules, speaking in front of a bright red poster depicting uh, St. Basil's Cathedral 
on Red Square in Moscow. This is unprecedented. It's not only unprecedented, this is Soviet-style rules. Maybe in the Soviet Union, you do things like this, where only you make the rules, where you reject the ability for the person you're accusing to even be in the room, to question what's going on. For anybody else to call witnesses, when only one person has the right to call witnesses. And as we saw just the other day, the chairman was literally directing the witness to not answer certain questions by the Republicans. What kind of fairness is that? <laughs> so, uh, okay, let me help out Steve Scalise here. It is neither unprecedented nor Soviet style what is going on and what this vote was about today, nor is it any different from previous impeachment inquiries when votes of both the majority and minority determined which witnesses would appear and those were the rules that were set out today in this vote. Now, Scalise was not talking about the rules, apparently, that were being voted on today, but on the depositions that have been taken from witnesses behind closed doors over the past several weeks uh, that have been taken before Democratic and Republican members of the House, of the House Intelligence Committee, the Foreign Affairs Committee, and the Oversight Committee. All of those Republicans have been there for all of the testimony. So has their staff. Their attorneys have been allowed to, uh, to ask questions of all of the witnesses. They are just pretending that there is something wrong with this closed-door process that went on. Uh, his reference uh, in that comment to Intelligence Chair Adam Schiff instructing a witness uh, in, in that case, uh, the witness was Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, who was Trump's top Ukraine expert on his own White House National Security Council. The instructions from Schiff that uh, Vindman did not have to answer questions from some of the Republicans in that hearing which was because they were questions uh, in which the Republicans were trying to get Vindman to identify the whistleblower who brought the entire Ukraine affair to light. Now, Vindman said he had no idea who the whistleblower is or was, but the Republicans were still hoping to identify him or her. Uh, publicly, despite the dangers that it may bring to that person. So they were peppering Vindman with all sorts of questions reportedly yes. about uh, like, who did you talk to about these things? Who did they talk to? Right. Yes. Trying to trying to root out who the whistleblower was, despite that whistleblower being protected by law. The investigation, as you know by now, is uh, focused on Donald Trump's efforts to push Ukraine to investigate his Democratic political opponents by withholding military aid and an Oval Office meeting that was craved by the Ukraine's new president. That alone, Democrats charge, is an abuse of power and an impeachable offense, despite Republican claims that presidents may do anything at all, anything they like, in carrying out foreign policy any way they wish, even when it comes to withholding money that has been allocated by Congress for a foreign country. Even if it includes secretly not handing over that money that was uh, voted on by Congress in hopes of strong arming an ally, uh, an allied country for a personal political favor, as Donald Trump was clearly seeking. Massachusetts Congressman Jim McGovern said uh, during today's debate that this is a historic test of our institutions and our Constitution. Madam Speaker, history is testing us. And I worry, based on what we have heard from the other side today, that some may be failing that test. There are no kings or, and queens in America. 
That is what separates this country from so many other nations. No one is above the law. Let me repeat that. No one is above the law. Is no one above the law? We'll see. New York Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, the House Democratic Caucus chair, and a somewhat conservative one at that, uh, he was even more direct in his remarks on the House floor on Thursday. The House impeachment inquiry is about abuse of power. It's about betrayal. It's about corruption. It's about national security. It's about the undermining of our elections. It's about defending our democracy for the people. The House is a separate and co-equal branch of government. We don't work for this president or any president. We work for the American people. We have a constitutional responsibility to serve as a check and balance on an out-of-control executive branch. Our job is to ask difficult questions on behalf of the American people. What we are doing right here is consistent with the words of James Madison, who in Federalist 51 said the House should be a rival to the executive branch. Why did Madison use the word rival? The founders didn't want a king. They didn't want a dictator. They didn't want a monarch. They wanted a democracy. And that is exactly what we are defending right now. No one is above the law. Gentleman from Oklahoma. That was New York Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, the House Democratic Caucus Chair. Uh, the leaders of both parties were busy rounding up votes uh, as the Thursday roll call approached. Each side was eager to come as close to unanimity as possible. Republicans set a, a solid GOP no vote, which they were able to get, would signal to this to the U.S. Senate that the Democratic push is a partisan crusade against the president that they have never liked. Democrats were also hoping to demonstrate solidarity from their most liberal elements to their most moderate members. And they argued that GOP cohesion against the measure would show that Republicans are blindly defending Donald Trump, whatever the facts are that emerge. In fact, they don't even want any facts to emerge. That would be why they would vote against the rules in the U.S. House today. Democrats did deliver a show of unity that just three uh, just weeks ago seemed improbable, according to The New York Times, with even many moderate lawmakers who are facing difficult reelection races in Republican leaning districts, districts that Trump carried in 2016. Uh, voting in favor of moving forward. Republicans said they hope to use today's vote to target those freshman Democrats and those from districts that uh, Trump carried in 2016. Pelosi decided to have the vote after weeks of GOP claims that the inquiry was invalid because the chamber had not yet voted to formally commence the work. That, even though a federal judge last week, the chief judge of the U.S. District Court in the District of Columbia, held that, uh, quote, Article 1 of the U.S. Constitution grants exclusive authority to the U.S. House of Representatives to establish its own rules with respect to the conduct of an impeachment inquiry. And that the Democrats' current approach she found, was 100% valid and constitutional. There was no need to hold a, a, a vote earlier than the one that was held on Thursday, at least according to the chief judge of the U.S. District Court. 
That hasn't stopped the Republicans, of course, from pretending that the Democrats are doing something wrong here just because they don't want to talk about the fact that the uh, president has definitely done something wrong here. Oh, definitely. He's uh, none of these Republicans are responding to any of the direct questions from journalists asking them, hey, do you think it's okay for the president of the United States to solicit assistance from a foreign country for personal political gain? They cannot defend the indefensible. So that's why they have these process arguments. The new rules uh, were adopted uh, by a majority vote in the uh, full House today. Uh, In addition to setting out rules for the upcoming public hearings, they direct House committees to continue their ongoing investigations of Trump at the same time. Democrats hope Thursday's vote will undercut GOP's GOP assertions that the process has been invalid because the chamber hadn't formally voted to start these proceedings. But they know there is no constitutional provision or House rules requiring such a vote according to AP, and that is exactly what the uh, U.S. District Court judge confirmed uh, just days ago. The rules lay out how the House Intelligence Committee will transition to public hearings. The three committee panels, um, the three committee panel, which is now holding these closed door uh, transcripts of diplomats and other officials, will issue a report and release the transcripts of those closed door interviews. Uh, that they have been conducting in recent weeks. So this uh, this this matter is anything but a uh, closed door private secret star chamber, as the Republicans have been claiming. After that uh, report is issued by these uh, this uh, three committee panel, uh, the Judiciary Committee will then decide whether to recommend that the House impeach Trump. Attorneys for Trump will be allowed to participate in the Judiciary Committee proceedings, uh, the ones that were voted on today, though uh, Chairman Jerry Nadler will be allowed to deny specific requests by Trump representatives if the White House continues refusing to provide documents or witnesses that are sought by Democratic investigators in this lawful constitutional impeachment investigation. Does that make sense? So the the uh, White House can be there every step of the way in the House Judiciary Committee. They can participate. They can uh, request certain uh, witnesses. They can question any of the witnesses. However, their participation will be cut short if they continue to stonewall uh, the uh, turning over of documents, the agreement to allow witnesses to testify and so forth. So they're basically putting in a mechanism to stop the White House from doing all of this obstruction that they have been doing. Not that, yeah, not, not that uh, this it, White but... House would obstruct justice at any time. <laughs> but yeah, uh, in a statement just after the resolution was adopted on Thursday, Stephanie Grisham, the White House press secretary, said that the House had approved a process that was, quote, unfair, unconstitutional and fundamentally un-American. <laughs> She said the president has done nothing wrong and the Democrats know it. Even without the benefit of a Justice Department investigation to build on, as in previous impeachments, where months and and in the case of the Clinton impeachment, years and years of private testimony was collected in secret by special prosecutors, even without that, 
The House inquiry is moving with remarkable speed, says the New York Times, since Ms. Pelosi told the uh, country just last month that she would launch a formal impeachment inquiry into whether Donald Trump had betrayed his oath of office by seeking to enlist a foreign power to tarnish a political rival for his own political gain. On Thursday, even as the House took its vote, four fours below it in the bowels of the Capitol. No comment. Uh, (laughs) Investigators questioned uh, Timothy Morrison, the top Russia expert on the National Security Council. That's the White House's own National Security Council about assertions by others that he had witnessed firsthand Trump and his ambassador to the European Union, Gordon Sondland, make uh, make clear within the American government and to the Ukrainians that they expected a public pledge for investigations of Joe Biden and of a into a conspiracy theory regarding Ukrainian involvement in the 2016 presidential election that they expected before. $391 million in security assistance that was allocated by Congress would be released to the country as they continue, uh, as the Ukraine continues to fight Russian-backed aggression in the east of the country. According to the Washington Post this afternoon, regarding Morrison's testimony, Morrison corroborated the testimony of a senior U.S. diplomat who last week offered House impeachment investigators the most detailed account to date for how Donald Trump tried to use his office to pressure Ukraine to investigate former President Joe Biden. Morrison uh, told impeachment investigators on Thursday that the account offered last week by Bill Taylor, the acting ambassador to Ukraine, is in fact accurate. He said that he alerted Bill Taylor to a push by Trump and his deputies to withhold both security aid and a White House visit for the Ukrainian president until Ukraine agreed to investigate the Bidens and interfere and and the supposed interference into the 2016 presidential election. Exactly what we have all been uh, looking at over the past several weeks. Morrison uh, and this guy is a top official in Donald in Donald Trump's uh, National Security Council. He corroborated, in fact, that, yes, he spoke with Bill Taylor at least twice in early September. The first conversation was to alert him that Gordon Sondland, the U.S. ambassador to the EU, had told the Ukrainians that no U.S. aid would be forthcoming until they announced an investigation of Burisma, which is a Ukrainian energy company that had hired Joe Biden's son, Hunter. So it was all predicated on that. They had to. There was your quid pro quo right there. Uh, Either they investigated or they would get no money. It's crystal clear. Morrison, according to Washington uh, Washington Post's sources in the hearing room, twice reached out to the National Security Council's attorneys, with apparent concerns about Trump's conversation uh, pertaining to this policy. So he also went to National Security Council uh, lawyers saying he was troubled by this uh, or that something wasn't right about it, uh, just as Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman did as well. He was the top Ukraine expert on the uh, on the National Security Council. Morrison was the top Russia expert on the council until he resigned 
on Wednesday night, the night before today's testimony. Democrats hope that Morrison's testimony will take away the off-sided Republican complaint that many of the accounts from U.S. officials describing a quid pro quo are actually secondhand. But Morrison's testimony seems to confirm that he heard it all firsthand. Morrison was a hand-picked protege of the hard-right John Bolton, who uh, was the national security advisor at the time and uh, certainly uh, no lefty. And neither, apparently, is Morrison, as he was selected by uh, uh, John Bolton. Morrison is a staunch foe of nuclear nonproliferation advocates. During his tenure, Morrison oversaw the U.S. withdrawal from the Reagan-era Intermediate uh, Range Nuclear Forces, the uh, INF Treaty, and continued to look for ways that the U.S. could pull out of other nuclear accords last week. Uh, Ambassador Taylor testified that Morrison had told him that Trump did not want to provide, quote, any assistance at all to Ukraine. Taylor said at the time that was extremely troubling to me. If the policy of strong support for Ukraine were to change, he said, I would have to resign. And based on my call with Mr. Morrison, I was preparing to do so. Republicans have participated in the questioning throughout of Morrison and all of these others, and they argue that there has been no firsthand evidence of a quid pro quo. But Morrison's testimony today, if accurately reported, would appear to explode that GOP defense as well. Democrats have indicated that the next phase could move uh, just as swiftly as uh, these uh, last few weeks have, as long as they are not derailed. Thursday's uh, Halloween vote is now behind them, and party leaders are aiming to conclude their public fact-finding hearings in the Intelligence Committee by around Thanksgiving. The Judiciary Committee would then have several weeks to draft and debate articles of impeachment before a possible House vote on impeachment before Christmas. So, Merry Christmas. Hmm. The House is scheduled to uh, recess for one week, beginning on Friday. Well, that'll be a nice break. However, lawmakers uh, leading the impeachment inquiry intend to use that time to begin to wrap up closed-door witness uh, depositions with government officials. Their targets uh, include, uh, perhaps, if they can get him, John Bolton, Trump's former national security advisor and Morrison's immediate supervisor, and with top White House lawyers who helped to lock down the summary of that infamous July phone call between Donald Trump and the president of Ukraine uh, by placing the, uh, uh, the reconstruction of that call, the memo from that call, into a special computer where it would not be accessible to diplomats and other national security officials, as would normally be the case. For some reason, they didn't want people to see it. Now, why would that be? In uh, As in the uh, past impeachment inquiries, the procedures that were voted on today will grant Republicans on the Intelligence and Judiciary Committees the ability to recommend subpoenas and witnesses, and they allow Trump's own legal team to propose witnesses to the Judiciary Committee to cross-examine any witnesses that the panel might call and to publicly present a defense, though those rights, as I noted, may be abridged if Democrats determine that Donald Trump's legal team is somehow obstructing the inquiry. Uh, at a uh, Democratic press conference after passage of the official House impeachment rules, Intelligence Committee Chair Adam Schiff 
spoke about this historic moment. This is a solemn day in the history of our country when the president's misconduct has compelled us to continue to move forward with an impeachment inquiry. The resolution today sets out the procedures uh, going forward with that impeachment process. The Founding Fathers understood that a leader might take hold of the Oval Office who would sacrifice the national security, who would fail to defend the Constitution, who would place his personal or political interests above the interests of the country. They understood that might happen. And they provided a mechanism to deal with it, and that mechanism is called impeachment. And that is the mechanism that is now underway in the U.S. House and perhaps heading to the U.S. Senate as early as Christmas. Buckle up. Quick break, and we are back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. In less weighty news, <laughs> the destruction of human civilization as we know it. The, pl- the destruction of the planet continues apace. Yes, it does. Uh, welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, well, it looks like uh, Donald Trump is, is losing his war on coal, after all. Uh, yep. as, uh, as, as you detail in our latest Green News report. We have ended, finally, the war on clean, beautiful coal. People going back to work. Not so much. Nation's largest coal company files for bankruptcy. California's wildfires and blackouts hold ominous warning for every state in the nation. Plus, zero emission vehicles is the wave of the future. Major auto companies side with Trump administration against California on auto emission standards. All of that and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. You know what they say, give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day. Teach a man to fish and he'll drain the oceans, bleach the coral reef, and bring the extinction of the human race. <laughs> this is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, speaking of extinction... Not good news for the coal industry again today. No, definitely not. Here's Donald Trump during the campaign in 2016. We're going to put the miners back to work. And here is President Trump just last week. The American coal industry, which is now starting to thrive again. 
Turns out he's still wrong. The nation's largest coal company, Murray Energy, this week became the eighth coal company to seek bankruptcy protection this year alone. Owner Robert Murray is a million-dollar Trump donor and climate change denier, whose long wish list of demands to protect his company from competition from cheaper, cleaner natural gas and renewables has been mostly enacted by his former lobbyist-turned-environmental protection agency administrator, Andrew Wheeler. Trump's energy department is even now trying to orchestrate a multi-billion dollar taxpayer bailout of the coal industry. Now a big question is whether Murray will use bankruptcy court to shed his obligations to fund coal miner pensions and health care. I don't get it. Robert Murray got just about everything he wanted from the Trump administration and yet eight coal companies have declared bankruptcy? Why is that? Market forces. Natural gas and renewables are cheaper and cleaner. And Nobody wants dirty, deadly coal anymore. Meanwhile, California's wind-driven wildfires continue to rage. And for the first time ever, the National Weather Service issued this week an unprecedented extreme red flag warning for Southern California, forecasting ultra-dry conditions and hurricane-force wind gusts, which in turn triggered new preemptive blackouts to prevent downed electrical wires from igniting additional fires. The state's largest electric utility, Pacific Gas, Gas and Electric is already in bankruptcy due to liability from fires in previous years that were caused by its aging equipment. And that, according to climate policy professor Leah Stokes on Democracy Now!, is a warning for utilities in every state. If one utility from just two years of fires has up to $30 billion in liability, what will that mean for our infrastructure and our organizations across the United States as climate change worsens? Hmm. Coal companies declaring bankruptcy, privately owned for-profit fossil fuel utility companies declaring bankruptcy. I'm starting to see a pattern here, Des. Yes, and you may want to also think about coastal infrastructure. I'd rather not. A new study concludes that previous projections of sea level rise caused by man-made global warming are probably too optimistic. That severe coastal flooding will hit the world's major coastal cities within the next 30 years. You mean the bad news that we've been hearing for years is not bad enough on this score? (laughs) Exactly. Great. Nearly 300 million people are now living on land that will be below high tide lines in 2050. But the researchers do note that the actual impact of rising seas will depend on how much governments are willing to spend on adaptation measures like seawalls and whether governments choose to reduce emissions or not. I'd say not. Finally, a big split in the auto industry. General Motors, Fiat Chrysler, and Toyota this week announced they are intervening on the side of the Trump administration against the state of California as the administration attempts to strip the state of its authority under the Clean Air Act to enact more stringent fuel economy standards and emissions rules for cars and trucks in coming years, more stringent than federal standards. Ford, Honda, Volkswagen, and BMW are sticking with California in a House oversight hearing on Wednesday, former California Governor Jerry Brown excoriated the automakers for choosing to abandon higher standards and increase air pollution to boost their short-term profits. Brown warned that, as happened in the 1970s, the U.S. auto industry will be left behind as the world market shifts to electric vehicles. California is the way of the future. The combustion car is going the way of the dodo bird. Consumers are pledging to boycott GM, Chrysler,
Chrysler and Toyota for choosing to join in the attack on California's air quality and emission standards and for choosing to intentionally make climate change worse. I'm just thinking about those poor dodo birds. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. And thanks in advance to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help the Green News Report celebrate our upcoming 1,000th episode. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. Nothing seems right in cars. So almost 1,000 episodes and you have not been able to stop uh, climate change in all that time, Desi <laughs> yeah, Doyen. weird how that works, isn't it? You should it? be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> uh, so uh, very quickly, uh, you say we've got a follow-up now from New York Times on that, uh, on, on Trump successfully getting the strong-arming some of the yeah. uh, so car companies to go against each other here. It looks like the reason why yeah. some of these car companies went along with the Trump administration is because the White House uh, got the Department of Justice to come on phone calls and pressure them to do so, to sign on to the administration's efforts to, in the court, to eliminate California's special authority to set its own more stringent standards. So it's car maker versus car maker now. Yes. What did Trump use for leverage to strong arm those calm, uh, those uh, car makers? Well, according to the New York Times, car makers have long feared that Mr. Trump might retaliate against them, either with tariffs or with trade restrictions, if they don't support this effort to dismantle these clean car rules. And do we have transcripts of those phone calls by any chance? Has anybody <laughs> looked into that little, that secret computer where we, we uh, keep all of these uh, phone calls where Donald Trump strong arms people? My guess is no. Okay. We'll see. Yeah. Sounds like there could be another quid pro quo in there somewhere. If I'm Congress, I would ask for uh, readouts of those phone calls. We'll see. I guess the automakers aren't going to talk because... They're scared to death of what the president might do to them. Exactly. It's all going to go to the Supreme Court eventually anyway, which can either be a good or a bad thing. Uh, the Supreme Court? Yeah. Yeah, not a good thing. All right. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download them anytime for free at bradblog.com. No, we don't lock them away in a secret computer. <laughs> no, we don't charge you for them. No, we don't strong arm you if you don't listen to them. Though we do thank you if you stop by bradblog.com slash donate. To help us continue what we try to do every day here on the broadcast, and of course for nearly 1,000 episodes on the Green News Report. That is it. Until we meet again next time. Oh, you can drop me email. I am bradcast <laughs> at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. She is Green News Report. That is really it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.